So I was writing a cover letter recently, and I was looking for a good um, synonym for excited. And on the, the on the thesaur- in the thesaurus, one of their suggestions was keyed up, which sounds I I I I mean I assume it's a cocaine reference, right? It has to be. I mean I know that. I mean, I know that it's like a, a a phrase that people use, but I mean, that has to. It has to be. Yeah. And I mean, what I've come to realize is that uh, cocaine use is much more prevalent than than uh, all other drugs, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like cocaine is the great equalizer of drugs that aren't cannabis. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's like way more to our culture, like specifically American culture, that we owe to cocaine than we realize. <laughs> For sure. You mean the entire decade of the 70s and the entire decade <laughs> yeah, of the 80s? Right, exactly. Right. So just yeah. like two whole every, decades right there. Every great movie was written entirely by people on cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, that's just that energy you need, you know? Yeah. Man, I uh, I watched I watched a uh, Chris Farley appearance on David Letterman for some reason I don't remember why, and I mean it was uh, obviously he was just blitzed out of his mind on coke, just like right, right. he must have railed like an eight ball before walking on stage, and like it's totally obvious to everyone. And at one point in the conversation with Mr. Letterman. David's like, ah, oh, you might want to ease up on that nose candy there, huh? And I'm just like, wow, that's pretty ballsy for like. Letterman just went out and said it. Yeah, yeah. And Chris Farley's <laughs> just like laughing, just like, oh. So whatever. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, I can't imagine uh, Jimmy Kimmel uh, saying <laughs> that to. I don't know. I don't think I, does anyone on those late night shows anymore do drugs? <gasps> yeah, of course. Nope. Yeah. They have to. That. This seems so like lame. Are they all like 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 neoliberal health conscious now? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> like 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 <laughs> like self self maximizing, self perfecting. Well, yeah. There's no like. I mean, especially like with musicians too. There's no like Steve Porcaros. I like <laughs> when I think of just when I think of cocaine. One of my first thoughts immediately is this video. <laughs> Who's got it? <laughs> of Steve or uh, yeah, or it's this uh video of Steve Porcaro on YouTube uh of of Toto fame and and others. It's a, um, it's a classic. It's a classic. Uh what is he do? He's like programming some MIDI, MIDI shit. Yeah, and, he's just talking talking about the basics of 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 MIDI uh MIDI programming, MIDI MIDI, you know, kind of a MIDI daisy chaining. He's in his studio and it's a it's a real treat. I'll uh, I'll put a link in the show description, but oh man, like there that's the secret. Like I I can't really stand MIDI programming, but I think it's just because I don't do enough blow. <laughs> if I did more blow, I'd be able to program way into it. I'd be like, yes, I'd be seeing all the connections. You know, I'd be seeing the connections. Hell yeah, I'd be like, it would all make sense. <laughs> that's 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 the plan for this year. New Year's resolution. I've got my R5 and my TG33. It's time to <laughs> it's time to line up some rails and make some fucking. I mean, I've heard stories from uh, 
people I will not name who have worked at Google since basically its inception that like engineers love cocaine, like engineers, software engineers love to do coding. I guess cocaine helps with coding. Really? I thought that's a shock. I thought they were all microdosing. Weren't they all? That, 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 that's like a new thing. That's like a recent thing. That's like a recent thing. Cocaine is evergreen. Well, that's true. I mean, cocaine never went away. You know who loves cocaine? Bankers. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bankers love yeah. cocaine. I mean, there's obviously a reason that for the sentencing differences and versus between crack and cocaine, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, pretty transparent that one. I haven't done cocaine in more than a decade, and the last time I did cocaine was at an Italo party at Happy Ending, and <laughs> Thomas Wolf was DJing. He was one of the best Italo. Uh, Italo DJs and like psychotic collectors in here in the uh, in the the aughts, and it it seemed like a very fitting time to be like, yep, no more cocaine. That that was the last time I did it <laughs> at an Italo party at a you know skeezy Chinatown bar. A good time, good good time to bail out on it. Yeah, Italo yeah, and cocaine really just don't go together. You just can't. <laughs> Italo and cocaine. Italo, yeah, no, what are you talking about? Italo, Italo and cocaine are like peanut butter and I'm chocolate. Jo- I'm joking. Uh, I think oh, that was a joke. Sorry. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, uh, I, I, well, I'm not drinking right now, so my my, my sarcasm my sarcasm radar is off. <laughs> well, if you, <laughs> if you want to jump back on the horse, come on over. I've got a TG33. We'll, uh, you know. Okay. Well, we'll make some pads. Hold on. Uh, on this topic, you mentioned wellness, Chris. And one of the sickest things I've seen in recent memory was the flyer for a Burning Man or Playa Tech party at Brooklyn Mirage with a curated wellness lineup on the flyer next to the DJs. So that you, is what is the wellness lineup? Is it like it's like it the massage teachers? table person, right? The acupuncture person, the like chakra alignment person, you know, you know. Yeah. Everything involved in being well. That's the thing is, if I'm at Brooklyn Mirage, I need to be doing drugs. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's no way wellness is going, that's, that's not going to work. <laughs> well, I don't, think, I don't think the idea is that you have to be sober. I think it's just, you know. That's, that's very true, yeah. Drugs and wellness are not mutually exclusive. For sure. <laughs> true. Definitely. <laughs> Yeah. Well, on, so yeah, I think on, we need. I think we need wellness lineups on you know on a traditional techno party lineup. Yeah, this party brought to you by uh, Health Aid Kombucha and uh, Doctor Bronner's. Yo, Health Aid is sick. That's the best kombucha out there. It I'm just gonna one. go out there and say it's it's especially fucking blood orange ginger carrot or. It's fuck. What is That's it? That's the it's, one I almost got. Chris, I I, I I I I got Chris Miller a kombucha last week, and I almost okay. got him that one. But I what did, you I, got me ginger lemon. Ginger, ginger That's lemon. That's a classic. That's yeah, a, that's always ginger lemon is great. But the blood orange, carrot ginger thing is just out of this world. Personally, good. I always pull for the cayenne cleanse, baby. That's good because I want I want to feel good. good. I want to feel good. Yep. <clears throat> and Maximum wellness. Maximum wellness. Because nothing says wellness like suffering. It's not suffering. It's very pleasure. That's true. 
pleasureful experience. I like, I like the burn too. Yeah, you're the hot sauce boy. You get it, Chris. Do you? I don't even know. Do you? Are you a hot sauce guy? I'm a I'm a hot sauce. Head. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm not like. I'm I mean, not I assumed like we did a podcast game. together for a reason. So <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> I mean, I'm not like I'm not like deep in the game. Like I can't tell you what my favorite fucking genetic variant of the scorpion pepper is, but like I will fuck with some hot sauce. What's your favorite commercial? What's your what's your go to commercially so, available? There's a there's a really good like a Mexican habanero green sauce. It's like bright green. It's like that's nuclear. the the El Yucatan. Yeah, Yucateco. Yeah, I love that shit. I love that shit. The they do they do the they're extra hot. That's my Mayan, too, yeah. Mayan one, which is is my, is my favorite of their their line. Yeah, that one is uh, extra hot Mayan. That sounds sick. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's XXX hot. You know, like Vin Diesel hot. So. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's kind of like beige. <laughs> In yeah. color, yeah. It's a, there, there's 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 no dye in it, so it's it just looks like you know, kind of. That's how you know it's real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, on that note, uh, this is uh, your base camp beta for the week. Seventeen. Um, <coughs> uh, yeah, seventeen. Prime number. Yeah, we got another prime m- number coming up soon. Which one? Nineteen. It's true. What's your favorite uh, prime number, Chris? Three. <laughs> no, seven. No, seven. No, seven. No, 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 no wait, wait. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus, way to blow it, man. Uh, <laughs> why is, why is uh, seven your favorite prime number? Seven's good. Just a good number. It's a pretty cool I number. like five, too. Five, is, five and seven are, are my top two numbers. Mine is 59. Yours is 59. Why? That's a lot to think about. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's uh, a real head scratcher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's for like, it's for big numbers heads. So, so, so no 23 fans here? Oh, 23. I mean, that's that fucking too movie. played out. Yeah, too played that, out. Dude, that movie. Played out. Jesus. Was that movie any good? I don't know what movie you're talking about. The fucking Jim Carrey movie called The Number 23. I. <laughs> I yeah, didn't I know that existed. There was what seemed like a really middling Jim Carrey supernatural thriller in, I'm going to guess, 2008, plus or minus five years. Called, um, called The Number 23. Called The Number 23, and it was all about, yeah. like, ooh, like, uh, I'm seeing everything. I'm seeing patterns, man. You know, like, and Number 23 is, like, well, there's a, you behind know, there's, there's everything. A long, there's a long-running fascination with The Number 23 and, you know, kind of industrial, you know, kind of Gnostic... Uh, traditions. This I didn't know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What you didn't know that, Chris? No. Jesus fucking. Christ. Come on. Like you know, like, like 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 coil like heads are all like like yeah, twenty three. Twenty three skidoo for Christ. Yeah. Sake. Well, now I know. Now you know. <laughs> My favorite prime number is still seven. Now you're gonna see the number twenty three everywhere, and you're gonna wake up and you'll 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 be Jim Carrey. That's Sean, good. The the. The source of that obsession was originally, um, oh fuck, what's his name? The mystic British guy. The it's Crowley. What is it? Is it's a Crowley thing, right? Yes, right. Yes, right. That yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's who I was thinking of. <clears throat> Crowley, Crowley. But then, but then, like, like, like Burroughs and Geisen were all obsessed with it too, and yeah. Let's talk about movies. 
I don't want to talk about music. What what uh, what movies? Ghost Box Cowboy, which I've been telling you to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so just, just give us a lowdown. Night, and up? it's fucking amazing. It's incredible. It's one of the best movies I've seen in a while. Well, I don't know about that, but it's fucking great. Why? Well, it's just a. It's it's like it's a. It's about an American entrepreneur in the largest air quotes you can imagine going to China, trying to sell Chinese investors on a literal horseshit box on a complete fake item and everything that ensues. And just it's it the way that it pairs the way it, 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 it really accurately represents the hollowness of like American late stage capitalist culture. And it pairs that with the way that that hollowness is reflected in China. And there's like, there's, there's amazing scenes of like, of like, uh, showing like a really wealthy Chinese person who hates his life and is like, I hate my existence. I've got tons of money, but Mm. life is meaningless. And it, it's, it really, what was really interesting to me is it reflects an influence of Tim and Eric in a way that I've mm. never seen hmm. in a film. Really? Yeah. Like, a lot of the the movie is about just bullshit in the way that Tim and Eric portray bullshit. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 no, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, they use it to comedic but also existential effect. Right. There's something very... Uh... Watching Tim and Eric still seems at times a very existential oh, yeah, right. experience. Like, I, I mean, I kind of think of Tim and Eric more as like cultural critics than than comedians. And like they're... Well, they walk that line pretty finely. They were definitely sure. like like super indebted to uh, to Paul McCarthy, right? Who's Paul McCarthy? The, 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 the artist who... I mean, just lo- lo- look him up. I mean, you'll you'll see the okay. connections very quickly. He okay. does a lot of like like just kind of grotesque in that very Tim and Eric kind of way, where it's uh, like, yeah, like, like right. it's sort of okay. like pop art with a bit of kind of cable access and just kind of everything turned up to eleven. You know, ah, uh, interesting. Yeah, L- L- LSD trip gone. You know, sure, annoying. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I know, I know. I read an interview with one of them saying they were like, yeah, they, like, like in college, like they they went to a Paul McCarthy show, and and that was one of their major sources of inspiration. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I mean, their influence is all over this film, all over Ghost Box Cowboy. I mean, it's really funny because like their influence, like at, at the time, you know, it seemed. Uh, the show seemed pretty radical, right? Like it was like, yeah. how is this? How would anyone even let this get made? This is right. this is crazy. Right. But they've cast right. such a long shadow. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, right. I mean, now, now, now they, you know, their aesthetic has been, you know, ultimately pretty influential on on just like ad ad aesthetic. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Exactly. They make they make I've, ads now. <laughs> I mean, I think that was filtered through uh, memes, basically. Like, I think you know the way that memes operate and exist today operate on the same axis that sort of <laughs> did like a decade ago 
and now now corporations are using memes to sell products. Yeah, totally, totally. Mm-hmm. The uh, the embrace of uh, the embrace of kind of uh, the gauche, the embrace of uh, kind of the acknowledgement that 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 ads are just like cultural detritus, right? And then embracing that. Um, it's funny, like yeah, there, there there is a certain critique of commodification built into like into kind of like just ad culture at this point. Yep. Um, you know that that is just capitalism's internal death wish manifesting itself, right? <laughs> yeah. Kill me, kill me, please. Well, I'm psyched because I just got a Cinco MIDI organizer. So. <laughs> Again, Sean, the offer stands if you want to have a wild night. Cinco MIDI organizer? Is that what you said? Yeah. You remember that one? No. Oh, I don't remember that. That's a, that's, a, that's a good one. That'll also be in the show notes. Um, uh, so this week we have a slightly different format. Um, in a second here, we're going to have an interview with uh, Samir Eskanda. Uh, who is a Palestinian activist um, and a um, a figure in the BDS movement, especially when it comes to uh, music. Um, so yeah, we wanted to uh, chat with Samir. Um, I interviewed him uh, a little earlier, and yeah, let's just let's just roll that interview. Hi, can you hear me? Hey everybody, this is Chris, and I'm here talking with Samir Eskanda. Uh, Samir is a Palestinian musician and a BDS organizer. Uh, BDS standing for uh, Boycott, Divestment, and Sanction. Samir, how's it going? Good. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Do you want to maybe just talk, just start off by explaining uh, what the BDS movement is and sort of what its goals are? Yeah, sure. So the BDS movement was founded in 2005 by the absolute majority of Palestinian civil society, meaning trade unions, women's organizations, cultural organizations, farmers unions, um, and so on. It has three, three aims, which are, number one, to end the occupation of lands occupied since 1967 by Israel. Um, secondly, full equality for Palestinians with Israeli citizenship, currently live under apartheid. And thirdly, the right of return for Palestinian refugees who were ethnically cleansed from their homes and land starting in 1947. So, and, and, and what, are the, what are the mechanisms that the BDS movement sort of aims to use uh, in order to accomplish those goals? I mean, really, it's in response to decades and decades of, of Israel's oppression against Palestinians, including right. apartheid occupation and the colonization of Palestinian land, the denial of refugee rights, ethnic cleansing. And all of those and very much which despite, have steadily gotten worse. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty bleak moment yeah. right now for Palestinians with the far-right sort of Trump administrations, the, the, the far-right Israeli government, the, it's the most extreme right in its in its history so far, allied with all kinds of far-right sort of uh, regimes and states around the world. Um, and there's actually, I, I would say, you know, an unprecedented, a very systematic attempt to sort of crush, to destroy Palestinians' very peoplehood right now, coming from America and Israel and Saudi. Trump defunded um, UNRWA, um, which is the UN Relief and Works Agency, 
it's the UN agency that's responsible for Palestinian refugees who make up about 50% of the Palestinian population. And that's really, that's really an attempt to um, sort of once and for all do away with what they see as a Palestinian problem by, by ending the refugee status of 50% of Palestinians who are, who are refugees. Mm-hmm. But the BDS movement, you know, was founded sort of in response really to Israel's impunity on the world stage. Right. So, for example, in 2004, the International Court of Justice ruled that Israel's apartheid wall, which cuts through Palestinian land and dividing Palestinian communities from one another, was illegal and must be dismantled. But nothing happened at all. Um, so exactly a year to the day later, the 9th of July 2005, the BDS movement was then founded by, by Palestinian civil society. Um, and it's very much inspired by you know, the boycotts of the US civil rights movement, but also, or especially, the international solidarity against the South African apartheid regime, mm-hmm. which of course inc- included cultural and academic boycotts. As sort of musicians, artists, and also uh, music fans, what does that mean to anyone on the outside? When, when you say boycott, what does that mean? Does that mean, is it simply just artists not playing there? Right, so it's the B, the D, and the S. So the, the first part, the, the, the boycotts and Palestinian civil society is calling for, for widespread boycotts against Israel's regime and its complicit institutions. It includes an academic boycott, so that's not working with complicit Israeli institutions. A sports boycott, so for example, the Argentina national men's football or soccer team cancelled a so-called friendly match with the Israeli national men's team just last year, which was quite a big story around the world. Um, Great development in the sports boycott. Also an economic boycott. So there's a number of corporations who in particular, you know, benefiting from or profit directly profiting from Israel's occupation and apartheid, um, including in its illegal settlements in the West Bank. So, for example, just a couple of days ago, Israeli occupation forces demolished hundreds um, of, of Palestinian homes, making up to a thousand Palestinians homeless, which is the single, single biggest act of ethnic cleansing against Palestinians since 1967. Um, and you can quite clearly see in the photos that the machinery they're using to do it was uh, made by Hyundai Heavy Industries, uh, Caterpillar and JCB among others. Mm-hmm. So these are all boycott targets for the BDS National Committee, the BNC, which is the largest Palestinian civil society coalition that leads the BDS movement. So you have that kind of consumer or economic boycott, which has racked up a lot of successes over the years, particularly um, springs to mind is Veolia, who lost, I think, I think about £20 billion worth of contracts around the world before they eventually ditched their Israeli operations. Also the cultural boycott as you mentioned. So that's obviously individual artists not playing at complicit Israeli institutions, cultural institutions, um, mm-hmm. and also refusing to play at events around the world that are sponsored by the Israeli government or its lobby groups. Mm-hmm. So, for example, Pop Culture Berlin Festival, being sponsored by the, the Embassy of Israel in Germany for the last few years, and 14 artists have withdrawn over the last two editions, including John Mouse, Young Fathers, and, and many others. Yeah, I mean, I suppose um, it's best to focus on the B at least because I, I my uh, assumption is that for any of our listeners, the the D and the S, the the divest and sanction movements, don't really apply to uh, sort of individuals and musicians as much, or do they? 
I think you're right that obviously if you're if you're an artist or a cultural worker in in some kind of arts sort of organization it's certainly going to be more relevant to you I would say the question of where you're being asked not to play essentially mm -hmm. but divestments too it kind of affects everybody because we're talking about kind of pension funds other kinds of major national funds that people contribute to as taxpayers or as, as, as um, automatically putting into your pension and so on and then of course sanctions is is kind of the last stage so that's kind of like especially a military a two-way military embargo mm -hmm. um, against Israel. Going back to the sort of cultural boycott what can artists do who who care about this is, is there a way to for example play anywhere in the uh, Palestinian territories or in uh, Israel that uh, would not be in violation of the BDS uh, movement? Yes, I mean, so when we're calling for, you know, the cultural boycott of Israel's regime, its complicit institutions, what Palestinians are doing there, you know, and this is where it actually differs primarily, I would say, from the, the boycott of apartheid South Africa that inspired BDS, is actually, you know, if you were a white um, South African um, artist or athlete or academic you know, touring the US or the UK or Europe in, in the 1980s, you would have found yourself likely to be boycotted on the basis actually of your identity as a white South African. Right. So that was an individual as well as an institutional boycott. But BDS doesn't do that. It's a strictly institutional, so it doesn't target any individuals for boycott, much less uh, on the basis of anyone's identity, including race, gender, religion, belief or opinion. Mm -hmm. So the position of the BDS movement is that all Israeli cultural institutions are complicit in, in Israel's sort of systematic oppression of Palestinians, either through passive silence um, in the face of overwhelming sort of oppression that they, that they indirectly or in some cases directly benefit from, or actual sort of active participation in whitewashing or otherwise justifying that oppression. But Israeli cultural institutions can become non-boycottable. So I suppose for your listeners, most relevantly would be, you know, clubs. Right. Let's say a club in, te in Tel Aviv can, can be non-boycottable by meeting two sort of quite basic conditions. One is publicly recognizing the comprehensive rights of the Palestinian people under international law. And secondly, ending all forms of complicity in violation of those, of those rights. Mm-hmm. But to date, no no major Israeli cultural institution has ever met those two basic conditions. Mm -hmm. So Israeli academic institutions, by the way. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think the question, uh, I think for a lot of people uh, in dance music, and one of the um, common things you, you hear whenever, you know, you speak out about a situation about BDS, about Palestine, is, oh, well, you know, what do you think? Like, dance music is going to change anything? Like, this is a small scene, you know, you don't have any power here. Um, and so what are you doing? All, all that you're doing is purely symbolic. But I, one of the major things to push back on that is that uh, dance music is hugely complicit in at least, um, especially Israel's uh, sort of outward positioning of itself as a sort of westernized party city, as a sort of oasis of, of uh, you know, freedom or whatever in the midst of, you know, this sort of pool of, you know, othery Arab uh, countries. Well, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. So culture and the arts in general is very much like a key weapon in Israel's you know, propaganda arsenal, quite cynically, quite openly exploits culture in order to, to whitewash its many crimes against Palestinians to present itself, as you say, very cynically 
as this kind of beacon of freedom and equality, when of course that's exactly what um, is being denied to Palestinians by Israel. And specifically with dance, electronic music, it's actually a, really a key element in, in the, the propaganda image of, of Tel Aviv as a so-called you know, party city. So in that sense, like a, a boycott by DJs is actually incredibly significant. Mm-hmm. Israeli strategists are actually much more, they're quite keen at this point to actually separate you know, brand Tel Aviv from brand Israel. Brand Israel has been quite thoroughly sort of toxified, mm-hmm. you know, by decades of war crimes and oppression against Palestinians, and as well as by the BDS movement and those who support it. So they've kind of shifted to upholding Tel Aviv as as separate somehow from Israel and as a brand in its own right. So again, it's it's really crucial, you know, in my opinion, that, that DJs do boycott Israel. So don't they don't play into into that very cynical you know, use of their of their of their music. Yeah, and just um, thinking sort of over the past couple of years, I mean, there have been just lots of news stories, lots of coverage of artists um, either uh, living up to uh, you know and, and participating in in the uh, boycott divest sanction movement, um, such as you know Brian Eno or, or Roger Waters or whoever, um, Ken Loach and people like that. Um, as well as others who have not, um, looking squarely at Radiohead. Um, but uh, additionally, um, when uh, the DJs for Palestine uh, campaign happened uh, last summer, um, that also was a huge, uh, re- that was a huge media um, event covered far beyond um, the, uh, the pages, of, you know, the sort of more insular um, electronic, uh, you know, techno circles that we all run in. Um, it had a much bigger reach than people uh, could have imagined. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, DJs for Palestine um, initiative was like extremely moving, very significant, um, very inspiring. Um, and I think the people, you know, the the musicians and other cultural workers who who took part in it, you know, that they're, they're they're recognizing that, you know, actually a fundamental form of solidarity with the oppressed is like at sort of minimums, refusing to whitewash oppression. Right. Um, but I think it goes a little bit further than that, because actually in the case of many of the people who, or at least some of the people who were, who actually took that stand, the DJ for Palestine stand, some of them had actually played in Tel Aviv in the past. So they're actually, they're kind of ending, you know, their 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 um their relationship with um with that whitewashing of the oppression against Palestinians. So actually, they're taking a step to actually be a very meaningful contribution. Um, right, and I'll to be Palestinians, and I'll and I'll you know full disclosure. I did play in in uh, Tel Aviv. Uh, must have been five years ago or something. Um, and I that was one of the major. Uh, Things that also open my eyes to this because you, I, I find it really impossible to go there and not uh, just be com- confronted by how uh, insane yeah. the situation is over there. Well, that, yeah, that's great, and that's exactly what I'm what I'm talking about. So it's you know, people can say, oh, it does, it's not going to change anything, it's not going to make a difference, but actually, literally, there's clear material change. There are people who took that stance because a collective action was happening. It provided like a platform for people to voice their 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 own anti-racist principles, um, and it has an immediate impact. Um, 
you're you're ending your own um, sort of involvement in what Palestinians would consider, you know, the whitewashing of of their impression, and, and and you're deciding to do no harm to the Palestinians' struggle for human rights. Um, but Radiohead, who you mentioned, um, they're probably the most high high profile example of a of a of an artist who um, who kind of dismissed a, a, a campaign asking them to to not play. Right, I suppose. Um, and Tom York said something like, "You know, we still play America, even though we don't um, we don't endorse Trump, basically. Right. Um, so we don't we don't endorse Netanyahu either. This but is the a- thing is, obviously, yeah, no one's called for the boycott of America. You know, and when when Radiohead play America, twelve U.S. embassies around the world are not tweeting, you know, thanks to Radiohead for." coming to America and d- d- dismissing the boycott. Right, uh, right, movement. right. You know, nor, if there was... Nor are, uh, you know, the, the, you know, sort of the worst, uh, most cynical, uh, you know, Fox News contributors who, you know, all, all like the, the worst sort of hard right-wing people in America really uh, gave Radiohead quite a, uh, quite a pat on the back for this one, so... That's right. Including Glenn Beck, I seem to remember. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but this is another this is another one that you get um, often when you start when you speak out about this is oh well what are you going to do you know like uh, so it's okay to play in you know uh, China or it's okay to play in you know Saudi or well it's probably not okay to play in Saudi um, but it's so you know uh, the sort of um, one of the other major critic you know major sort of comebacks um, whenever you we start talking about this is oh well every country. Is does terrible things, so you know what you you know. Why are you picking on Israel? Why are you singling out Israel? Well, I mean, I think that that sort of line of argument um, ignores that actually, you know, any one time there are different boycotts of um, different regimes, different corporations. Um, just recently, um, there was a boycott of um, a U.S. state in the south of uh, the United States, Georgia, was it? Um, who tabled some anti-transgender rights laws. Yeah, I mean, we, we often talk on, on the show about, you know, just how difficult it is um, to, you know, ethically consume under capitalism and how, you know, that's sort of a, a hard thing to, I mean, that's sort of a dead end because, you know, there sort of is no way to, uh, you know, to consume ethnic, ethically um, and, more so, that's a terrible society to live in, to have to spend every single, you know, waking moment and every sort of transaction thinking about every single repercussion, you know. Um, but so until we live in a, you know, maybe in the future when there's a, a nice and, you know, every person has human dignity, um, you know, maybe we can, uh, we can let up on that. But at least in this situation, um, it's such a clear cut um, you know, it's such a clear uh, question of just a group of people um, asking for solidarity um, and a question of just not crossing the picket line. Exactly. Um, and I think it was um, Cool Super um, who joined the, the DJs of Palestine Action who said something like um, that, you know, Israel's oppression against Palestinians has reached such a height that um, sil- we're at the point where silence uh, is a form of complicity. At this point, yeah, I mean, if this isn't if this isn't it, then I don't know what I don't know what it could possibly be. You know, the chronolo- the, the chronology there is interesting actually, because um, 
DJs for Palestine just happened just a few days um, after Meteor Festival in Israel. Um, right, that was about a big... twenty. Yeah, yeah, at least twenty international artists withdrew from that festival, including Lana Del Rey, um, who got uh, most of the headlines. Mm-hmm. So of Montreal, um, but tons of of DJs and producers as well. I think I think uh, friend of the show DJ Python. I think he was one of the people who um, who withdrew, and and but that that festival was also like clearly unoccupied land, if I remember correctly. Well, I think what it was in that case that um, they were advertising accommodation, including in in occupied territory. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, but I mean, clearly that festival was was complicit with Israel's regime um, in various kinds of ways. They actually claimed quite absurdly at one point that um, this was the only festival in the world that was like 100% politics free or something like that. <laughs> but at the same time, Israel, the Israeli government's official $1 million app that they used to mobilize their 15,000 sort of users of this app, this, this propaganda app, was was promoting... Um, was promoting the festival, getting like this online army to go and to go and like, you know, Facebook posts and retweet tweets against against the sort of the ongoing BDS human rights campaign, asking people to drop out. So quite clearly, um, it wasn't hundred percent politics free by any means. Um, you're a you're a musician. Can you tell us a little bit about musical circles uh, you are actually actively involved in? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I I mainly play drums in in punk bands, really. Um, so, I mean, I would say within within kind of like air quotes guitar music very broadly. <laughs> uh-huh. um, I think that's where there's a there's a lot of support already for the for the for the cultural boycott of Israel and the BDS movement. Um, I think the sort of overwhelming. Um, um, sort of calls from from their own fans for for Radiohead again um sort of showed showed that um that like kind of rock fans um it's something that they're kind of they're aware of already and probably support that could be partly because quite high profile BDS supporters like um Roger Waters for example um Thurston Moore and a few others um I mean if you're looking at it genre by genre um, there's also quite a lot of support um, from from within hip hop, right? Um, that could be connected or attributable to um, sort of Black Palestinian solidarity. It's really come to the fore mm-hmm. over the last few years, last five years or so. Um, it kind of seemed to me like electronic music was kind of was kind of lagging behind actually until until DJs for Palestine. Um, so it was well until Meteor Festival really. Um, which seemed to just kind of open things up, open up that space for that discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the bands I've been in have been sort of like pushing towards kind of like a lot of metal influences. Um, so yeah, I do see a lot of a lot of metal bands playing Israel still. Um, but again, I think I think it doesn't take much. It would be, be maybe it'd be quite cool to talk about the kind of some of the backlash. Um, sure. Yeah. Of course. Because there was a backlash, particularly in Germany. Um, and that's still ongoing. Yeah, so um, so in Germany, uh, clubs like About Blank uh, started to cancel gigs uh, of artists uh, who express solidarity with uh, the BDS movement. Yeah, and obviously it's, it's you know extremely shameful kind of form 
form of censorship um and it's for me it's it stands in stark contrast to um to the bds movement such strictly institutional um uh, uh guidelines which don't as i said earlier they don't target any individual for boycott and they don't target anyone or anything on the basis of identity right um, including opinion or belief whereas a few individual artists have, have had shows cancelled in some german clubs and festivals um and then i'd say a wider pool have been sort of questioned about their support of djs for palestine or the cultural boycott of israel and bds um and asked to sort of provide some sort of statement basically distancing themselves from it mm-hmm. um two of the most high profile examples um last year the the edinburgh based uh group um young fathers were were disinvited from a festival called rura triennale um in the nrw region of germany um and this caused a huge scandal and suddenly uh i mean the bds movement called for the boycott of the festival in response and about you know, according to the artistic director stephanie karp about half of the the whole festival's lineup dropped out in solidarity with young fathers well wow. if there is anyone out there who's who you know has supported bds or has had these sort of issues in germany then they should try to contact um the bds movement try to contact people they know who might be connected try to find me online i'd love to love to hear about it mm-hmm. see if we can help anyway i guess just try to find out what's going on near you yeah there was uh there's some uh there's definitely activity here in new york i know i played uh a party with some friends a couple months back where all the proceeds went to adala in new york um there are definitely parties around uh, sort of organized around either you know raising funds for um for organizations that help uh refugees um there are definitely things around new york yes indeed and you know if you see someone who you know or or an, or an artist that you like um and they're booked for Tel Aviv you can send them some information and connect with other people and just try to explain to them the situation and why Palestinians are asking that they don't they don't cross that picket line and, yeah so yeah I, um God, I shouldn't start the segue like that. That's such a... It's natural. I I don't know. (laughs) Segway. Segway? uh, Here's a segue for you. (laughs) Your face. (laughs) Jesus. My neck just kind of went out like five minutes ago. It's like pinched nerve kind of shit. You need like a pull-up bar. Do some like hanging. I need need a lifetime of body work. I need... Brooklyn Mirage, baby, this weekend. <laughs> I need some wellness. I need some wellness. I got a, I got a go acupuncturist. And uh, <laughs> best part is that uh, Len Faki will be playing. Oh, yeah. Is Ben Clock going to be there? It'll, it'll, it'll actually be like the scum frog. <laughs> What's the scum frog? The scum frog is a Dutch dude who used to, I think he used to be like a hardcore guy, Sean. Uh, probably would not, every would not be shocking. 
uh, I think he was like a hardcore Gabber guy in the in back in the day. I originally discovered the Scum Frog through the Front Two Four Two Headhunter Two Thousand Remix CD. <laughs> as we as we all discover all of these things, <laughs> which um, as its name suggests, came out mm-hmm. in two thousand and had like twenty remixes of Headhunter on it. And I really actually liked the Scum Frogs remix. It what, was, were, what were some of the other ones? Uh, that's a who great else was on this question. lineup? Let me check. Scum Frog is the only one that sticks out. Yeah, Scum Frog is the only one that I remember. Damn. Uh, um. Oh, so now he's like a How Job, Frontline Assembly, How Job, Beefcake, Zingu Hill, Tala to XLC, which is sick. Noisex, a Pop Digma Berserk. Leather strip. We're just getting all the classics here. Yeah, this oh, is, yeah. sounds this great. Is Why does Future Pop keep fucking coming up on the on this show? <laughs> it's all Chris's fault. <laughs> it's all my fault. It's all my fault. I didn't it's think this my... was going to be a Future Pop podcast, <laughs> but oh shit! I oh man! I just realized that that the remix I loved was by Space Frog. <laughs> you got your frogs mixed up. Damn. Yeah. Jesus, you were you were living in the scum, but you could have been in the in the, in the skies. <laughs> oh man, that's the well, dream we sell. Growing. We sell our <laughs> listeners. This well, ruins my whole story. Uh, I don't know if it really ruins it. It yeah, wasn't I, <laughs> didn't have a whole lot of legs to begin with. So I think the story just got better. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Well, anyway, the scum frog, who was a Dutch, like hardcore ish guy has in like 2008 or whatever, whenever he went to the playa for the first time, has fully reinvented himself as a, as a Burning Man DJ. And so now he gets booked all the time at these, you know, art car parties with wellness lineups. So just to, just to tie it all together there. So what, what happens there? Like you go to Burning Man. What is like, what happens that makes you become a Burning Man person? I suppose it could be either three things. A, um, I don't know. I can only really think of two. A is you either... So if you go to a Burning Man thing and you immediately become a burner for the rest of your life, I have to assume, especially as an artist, I have to assume that's either A, a calculated decision, being like, oh, wow, there's a lot of people here and they're listening to terrible music. I can... I could- Right, just flagrant opportunism. Totally get on this. Or B, it's just really bad drugs. Or really no, good I think drugs. it's like... Or really good really, drugs. People get really sucked into the vibe. I mean, you know what? I've never been. So maybe if I went to Burning Man, I would... You'd be a burner. I would become a burner. Well, we are going to Burning Man, so... <laughs> that's true. After, after that, That's the ultimate Patreon stretch goal. <laughs> hey, Patreon Omega tier subscribers, you can come with us. <laughs> You uh, you get a, a little access card to to the base camp beta on the playa. That'll be and fun. Y- you know, the word camp is already built into our name, so we wouldn't even have to rebrand for a uh, <laughs> for Burning Man. That's true. <laughs> Burn camp beta. Oh God. <laughs> well, here we go. Uh, the segues, man. They're just they just keep on coming from one void to the other. Uh, let's talk Blade Runner and Voight Conf tests. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Hell yeah. Sure. Um, Rucker Hauer. R.I.P. Rucker Hauer. Yeah. yeah. Rest um, in power. Yeah. Let's talk about, 
Man, Blade Runner, that there's so many fucking tracks that sample Blade that sample Vangelis's soundtrack, sample the movie, so many references. Yeah. Is there any movie with that much shit other I mean Star Wars? Yeah, but I mean, do you actually hear records with I mean, Star Wars samples? There's a whole there's a whole subgenre of UK hardcore that is dark side hardcore built around Vader samples. That's true. I remember loving this track called Dark Like Vader when I was a kid. <laughs> um, Dark Like Vader? Yeah, it's it's a it's a happy hardcore track. It's is that not, like an early version of like moves like Jagger? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. But it's 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 it it slaps. Um yeah, well, I, mean, well, I mean specifically within electronic music there probably has not been a movie more overall influential than Blade Runner. Yeah. As far as like uh yeah, just like like generally like like just like like reference points everywhere. Yeah. I mean Jesus Christ, I mean <clears throat> look how many of those Deckard dreams have been selling and people have been building those. I mean, that's like what? It's right there. The Deckard's Dream, which is a uh, sort of clone of the Yamaha CS80. CS80, yeah. Which uh, Vangelis used like all over the Blade Runner soundtrack. And uh, huh. yeah. Um, I mean, it's just so... That synth is so tied to that movie. Yeah. The movie is so tied to like certain things. I mean, you know, it's a great movie. Sequel sucked, but... Sequel's terrible. Sequel's awful. <clears throat> yeah. Haven't haven't seen it. Not gonna. It was boring. Although shit. honestly, if uh, what's his name hadn't done the soundtrack and they had released the original soundtrack, I probably would have maybe not loved it, but at least enjoyed it. Oh right, yeah. They switched it last fucking minute. Why? Last fucking minute. Like literally, like yeah. three months before release. Yeah. Why have Johan Johansson do the soundtrack, which will be good? Let's just get Hans Zimmer in there to phone it in. And, and like even worse than that, let's give Hans Zimmer a fucking synthesizer and have him do like sounds like, dude, that's not necessary. Dude, I fucking hate Christopher Nolan movies. Can I be real? What? I hate Christopher Nolan movies. Oh, Christopher Nolan. Um, the Prestige is fucking great. Let's be real. Prestige and was so's, Prestige was good. So's and. So is Memento. Like that's that's one hell of a movie to come. Memento out I don't really remember well enough. And I like it had been so referenced by the time I saw it that it kind of lost some of its steam. Yeah. But, that's fair. Uh, but but it's the prestige still a great was movie. the prestige was a good movie. Prestige was great. Yeah. And it and it and it holds up well too. Does it? I haven't seen it in a long time. Well, except for Scarlett Johansson's accent, but <laughs> everything else. It's pretty sick. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Other than that, I I can't stand his movies. I can't stand Hans Zimmer's fucking horrible scores. Just garbage. Anyway, yeah, he kind of makes movies that appeal to like the Rick and Morty crowd. Dude, like that's exactly it. Like, <laughs> yeah. I was hanging out with people and they were watching Inception, and I was like. God, this fucking movie. Inception and, is one of the worst movies and they were just I've like, ever seen. They were just like, you don't get it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This, I get it. I get it. The movie is a fucking hour and a half of setup to make yeah. you figure, to make you think about how clever the fucking movie is. Yes. 
there's absolutely nothing to gleam on a second vi- viewing mm-hmm. of this. There's right. no depth. There's no nothing. It's just like, right. look how clever we are at writing a plot. It's like the people who love his films actually identify with the Joker in in the in, in the dark <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Or more problematically, they identify with Batman. Yeah. Yeah, I guess the only thing worse than identifying with the Joker is identifying with yeah. Batman. Yeah. Anyway, we're back to Blade Runner. Um we uh as a little framing device wanted to talk, I guess, just about some of our favorite uh tracks that uh, sample Blade Runner, reference Blade Runner. Well, yeah, the, for, for me, the first thing that came to mind was like, oh, Tron by Panacea. And I was like, yeah, there's, there's a Blade Runner sample in there. And then I was like, wait a second, is there a Blade Runner sample in there? Is that the Panacea track that samples Blade Runner? I can't remember. <clears throat> um, so hopefully, you know, one of our pedantic listeners can, can, can correct, uh, correct me. Uh, whether or not it samples... Blade Runner, I think, is almost irrelevant. Um, great track, though. This is the dawn of a new era. The standout from that album, and maybe Panacea's best track altogether, is going to be Stormbringer. Like, that's... Stormbringer's amazing. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> I had the... Uh... I mean, I, I got the Tron 12-inch when it came out. So the album came out, whatever, like a year later. It's low, low Profile Darkness, that's the one, right? Oh, shit. Yep, uh-huh. Um, Damn, you bought it when it came out. Damn. And, uh, yeah, man, I'm OG. Um, no, for me, Tron was, <laughs> Tron was the... Uh, that was the first time I heard what was pretty decidedly a drum and bass track. I was very deep into breakcore and hardcore by that point. But um, Tron is, is, is still, like, very much drum and bass. Oh, yeah. And that was the first time that I was like, I love this. This is my drum and bass. Yep. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, that style became, it, it, like that style of tech step went to very bad places. And Panacea's music got really bad just a few, a few years after. But um, I actually love thinking about the Panacea arc, like his, 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 his basically career path is so amazing to me. That you mean um, his, his music got worse the skinnier he got? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that is literally the fucking key to understanding. <laughs> old, fat, grungy panacea made, like, seriously, like, some of the heaviest, best fucking industrial dance music you could ask for. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, the, and, the, the low-profile darkness is... Uh, like as good as it gets for sure absolutely as good as it gets like like there are very few albums that i've listened to in my life that had the impact that that album did when i listened to it for for the first time it just like it completely shredded my brain to pieces yeah no it's Um, it's it's a crazy one and then he got fat and started or i mean he got skinny excuse me he got skinny he lost a ton of weight got ripped and started making like really, really, really bad bottom of the barrel, cheesy hardcore drum and bass. He got keyed up. He got keyed <laughs> up. <laughs> Maybe he got keyed down. That's possible. I mean, yeah. He went through ketosis. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but um, no carb drum and bass. <laughs> See, Chris, this is what's going to happen to you if you keep stopping eating carbs. 
<laughs> Keep failing to eat carbs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I um, I have a couple picks. None of them are very fascinating. None of them are very enlightening. Uh, one is uh, uh, by uh, Callisto, um, who was a uh, producer in the sort of mid to late 90s, uh, just a Chicago house producer on guidance recordings. Um, made some really, really great um, house records. And he has one record um, called Bounce that uh, samples uh, just uh, some vocals. So, you know, some uh, voice snippets from, from Blade Runner. Um, it's kind of uh, in mood, the polar opposite of, uh, you know, your sort of Dillinger's and sort of the other more well-known Blade Runner sampling uh, tracks. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a real nice one. All the same. And uh, somewhat related in like a sort of house tip is uh, Solitary Flight by Theo Parrish. Theo's mega classics and uh, yeah, just a really, I don't know, uh, samples fucking Vangelis. <laughs> what else is there to say? Um, yeah. Vangelis was Greek, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Big was time. he kind of related to Yanni in some way? I'd like to think so. I don't think so, but Let's like I don't mean actually related, but like did yeah, they yeah. work together? Oh, I don't know. I, I, I don't think they did. Um Vangelis was of course in, in uh Aphrodite's child. I don't know what oh, that is. Fuck. What is that? Amazing really? uh an amazing like kind of psych prog band. No, yeah, it's no, like no, known for their album Six Six Six. Ooh. Wait, Vangelis was part of that? I know this album for some reason. What about uh, the? I just had to look it up. The hypnosis version of the uh, the Blade Runner end title. Anyone else a fan of that oh. one? Angelo from Curly and Camera was in the project. Huh. Um, <clears throat> but they did uh, they did a version of the um, the Blade Runner end title that's like super stripped down, you know, kind of a tallow electro style. Very sick cut. Uh, featured, I'm pretty sure, in Mixed Up in the Hague. I'm out here realizing just now that Vangelis is related to the word evangelize. They both have the same Greek root. That makes sense. Which is cool, and I should have realized that earlier. Chris, what are you going to have for dinner? Uh, a Detroit... So okay. So there's a there's a new pizza place in San Francisco that opened on my block. Jesus called, Christ. Again with the San Francisco pizza. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is Detroit-style pizza in San Francisco. Detroit-style Detroit pizza is like the, the, all the rage right now. Which it it is kind like, of is, isn't it, huh? It's, 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 like, a, it's a trend full on. It's like borderline deep dish, 
but it's not really deep dish. I mean, it's it has- very different. It's it's more it it's got more in common with like a Sicilian slice than it does with the deep dish. Yes, oh, I, yeah, okay, I agree. You're right. Yes. Yeah, that, that, that's a better way of putting it. Excuse me, fucking pizza master over Sh- here. Chicago, I, I like I love Detroit style pizza. I mean, don't Sh- get me wrong. Chicago deep and- dish fully jumps out of like out of bread product and into casserole land. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's and, more like a so, big and, uh, stuffed pie or something. Detroit pizza so, is basically like old school Pizza Hut. Except Detroit pizza <laughs> is square. I, I I don't know old school Pizza Hut. You only know, know new school Pizza Hut? I guess. I don't know. Is this like that Domino's thing where they changed the recipe 10 years ago? The last time I had Pizza Hut, it was pretty traumatizing. Last time I had Domino's, it was about as shitty as every other time I've had Domino's. <laughs> Anyway, Chris, what's this uh, great San Francisco pizza place you're going to? Well, it's called Cellar Maker, and it's a brewery, and they have Detroit-style pizza, and there's Parmesan cheese in the crust. See, this is what happens when the Midwest has colonized all of our urban, major urban centers. We we have come to like fully fully fetishize and and and, and elevate Midwest trash cuisine. There, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> New York is now full of like Detroit pizzerias, Tex like like elevated Tex Mex, all this kind of shit. It's it's this is this is this is the future. What's another <laughs> annoying trend here in New York right now? Techno, sure. Midwest, Are you guys? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Just one more bullshit thing. Just to come one more from the bullshit Midwest. thing from the Midwest. Uh, it's been Basecamp Beta. Thanks for listening. Recording as always from Control. It's hot as shit. If you can hear the fan in the background, that's because uh, you know it's hot as hell in here. And yeah, pour, pour one out for Rucker, everyone. Yeah, tears. In the rain. Mm-hmm.